there is no perfection in brewing. You know, brewers can chase the beer that they want to say is perfect, but for the consumer, the more you build it up, the more impenetrable you make beer. Welcome to Brews News Week, recorded 24 March 2022. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Australian Brews News. This week, I'm just joined by one other, uh, which is industry consultant, Sabrina Kunz. Unfortunately, Claire is not with us this week. She's come down with a lurgy, and fortunately, she didn't get the second line on her rat test, so it doesn't appear to be COVID. So unfortunately, we don't have her, but we wish her the best in a speedy recovery. Let's get straight into the news of the week. Event raises 17500 for flooded Brisbane breweries. Hosted by Easy Times Brewing Company, the Great Brown Lemonade has raised $17,500 for the breweries impacted by last month's floods. The money raised at the event will be shared equally between the impacted breweries, including Parched, Brewtide, Range, Newstead, Milton Common, Fonzie Abbott, Crafted Grounds and Distillery Grandad Jacks. In other fundraising efforts, Hop Nation launched a special Communitinis 12-pack, while Stonerwood also held a Byron Bay and Brisbane flood relief fundraiser last week and raised $25,075 in funds, which will go towards Orange Sky Australia. In other news, Fair claims alcohol companies profit from heavy drinkers. Alcohol watchdog Fair has claimed that a new report suggests alcohol companies are reliant on heavy drinkers for sales. The distribution of alcohol use in Australia report released by Fair and undertaken by the Centre for Alcohol Policy Research analysed alcohol use among people who consume alcohol at the heaviest levels. The report's findings include that more than a third of alcohol consumed in Australia, 36.1%, is drunk by only 5% of the population. These drinkers average at almost eight standard drinks per person per day, according to the report. The heaviest drinking 10% of the Australian population drank 54.1% of all alcohol consumed it found. Regular strength beer and cask wine are the most commonly drunk by the heaviest drinking 10% of the population, who are most likely to be men aged between the ages of 40 and 59, living in rural and regional areas. Beer Startup tries alternative route to market, with so many breweries looking towards equity crowdfunding, a new beer brand is looking to go in another direction for a more traditional GoFundMe. After brewing an experimental batch of blueberry pisco sour, brewer and director of Imorales Brewery, Natalie Morales, decided to create a GoFundMe fundraiser to build upon the success of the beer after it sold out quickly in stores. The goal for Morales' fundraiser currently sits at $10,000 with almost 3000 raised so far. The Australian Bureau of Statistics uh, survey explores alcohol consumption. Alcohol Beverages Australia has claimed the ABS recent survey results show Australia's drinking culture embracing moderation. CEO of Alcohol Beverages Australia, Andrew Wilsmore, said that with more than four out of five Australians consuming less than two standard drinks a day, we can proudly say Australians are making sensible choices and choosing to act responsibly when it comes to enjoying alcohol. It is pleasing to see the proportion of people drinking more than two standard drinks a day declining from 19.5% in 2011-12 to 15.2% in 2021. It's a trend that says Australians are increasingly capable of making sensible personal decisions around their own consumption. Also, registrations open for West Australia Beer Week. Registrations are now open for all breweries and venues that want to host an event at WAE Beer Week, which runs from the 2nd to the 12th of June and is celebrating its 19th anniversary this year. Now, that is the news of the week. And with that, we go and look at a deeper dive, deeper discussion and more insight into those stories with Below the Fold. Welcome back, Sabrina Kunz. Hey Matt, how's it going? Good, good. Uh, now it's just us flying solo. You were uh, you, you prepared for that responsibility? Oh, I feel a bit stressed. To be fair, Claire brings some neutrality to our discussions, which I always appreciate. Bruce News, whilst it's us on mic, it really is a team uh, because yeah. we have Vivian, who is the podcast producer and journalist for Australian Bruce News, and Claire is our senior journalist who does all of the reporting. And a lot of the things that you and I talk about, you know, have essentially been spoon-fed to us by the editorial That's team exactly who right. actually do the reporting this week. So we need to make sure that they get full credit, that even if Claire's not here talking, 
she uh, does make the discussion possible because of the deep dives. And one of the actually one of the stories that could have probably gone into news, but is probably a little bit more below the fold, is the Carbon Neutral Brewery um, story that Claire did this week, which is a very very extensive deep dive into um, carbon neutral operations. You know, all credit to Claire. Sustainability is a buzzword in every industry, but certainly in brewing. And there are so many aspects to sustainability that being able to, um, in terms of explaining it to maybe smaller breweries or people thinking about going down this path, it can seem really overwhelming. So trying to sort of focus on um, aspects of it like the like the carbon zero mm. or carbon neutral is is one way to go about it. I know there's been discussions with um, – there was that discussion with Helios Brewing earlier this year and there's a couple of other breweries who are doing – you know, the thing that you always hear is just do something, you know, do something on the pathway. Yes. Because these certifications, as Claire's highlighted, can be really um, overwhelming. From a journalistic point of view, it's why Claire deserves congratulations because on one hand – People don't want to read a 5,000-word story on something like this as news. Um, And it it does become very quickly overwhelming. And one of the challenges is to take complex issues and you can't, without writing a PhD, cover the whole story, but try and give takeaways from each individual one. And ultimately, it's you know if we can do that, then in the aggregate, the compilation of stories that we we put on places like Brewery Pro add up to pre, a fairly good guide to things like you know very complex issues like sustainability. And definitely, I mean, I think here, you know, what is clear is that you know breweries, anyone shouldn't be and can't be making carbon neutral claims that aren't certified by independent organisations and those certification processes can be complex but also breweries can define the scope of what they want to be carbon neutral certified so that they have a place to start. If it's a place to start where you can sort of say, but as a consumer, you know, when when I step away from a, a role covering the industry, as a consumer, it's a little bit disappointing to be told, you know, there is commercial pressure from what consumers expect for businesses to identify as making a difference. But then, to me, and I always come back to the free-range chickens you know, thing where consumers hated seeing battery chickens and hearing the stories about the treatment of battery chickens and started making positive consumer choices towards free-range. And free-range was... And, even if you've got barn raised or you know, um, you know eggs that are better than battery but still aren't full on, the carton has one chicken sort of out in a field, which is so. I'm misleading. right to be choosing the RSPCA approved. No, e- well, see, eggs. I don't. I don't even choose the RSPCA because the RSPCA has commercial pressure as well. Because I, I think you pay so to get you their do endorsement. Independent research no, on your well, egg brands. No, this is but this is the point. When I buy eggs, I want to be able to if the picture on the label is a or you know, if the claim on the label says um, free range and the picture on the on, on on the label is a chicken in a field, I want to think that that actually means something, but it doesn't. No, um, that's right, that's and, and and that's where so so you know that, that's where I sort of think about. It. And then they, I, I did not imagine this morning that we would be talking about free range chickens. Well, so it's, it's a great example because no, they, is, they they a, did change the definition of what free range meant because the big egg producers forced a change because they couldn't ever sust- meet the definition. Meet the meet the the, the definition. We we do see that over and over and over again. So when I you know hear of and there was a line a line which is such a big company, anything they do is going to have a massive impact on, you know, um, sustainability of the brewing industry. Um, And, you know, in so many ways, the big brewers are industry leading in water use that in a way that small breweries very, very, you know, will always really, really struggle. But then, and and if it's where I wish Claire was here, my understanding is that when they got to choose what their carbon neutral meant, they excluded the distribution of beer mm. um, from 
they're carbon neutral. And as big centralised breweries, you know, they've got Brisbane and Sydney breweries, they've closed South Australia, they've closed Western Australia, they've got a brewery in Tasmania that is a production brewery. But so they're shipping huge volumes of beer across the country on carbon-producing trucks that I think, I don't think they own the company, but they're a shareholder in the company. They're saying, well, we don't include that in our carbon-neutral claims. Again, I stand corrected. I think I'm right in saying that because Claire and I had this discussion. But then you're going, okay, well, Dan Murphy's, which is another huge company that has an ability to do it, um, and they're looking at it in-store. You're seeing all of the things that they're doing to be, you know, green. Yep. They're, they're not, never going to say, well, this is the carbon produced in shipping the beer to us um, to sell. No, no, but I think – so I think I, – I guess what you're sort of highlighting is the term that's been used, which is greenwashing, where everybody makes sustainability-type claims without necessarily being 100% true to the consumer. The, well, so, and this is where I'm not saying greenwashing in this case. Right. But it can be. But where there isn't consistent – meaningful definitions that everyone abides to whether it's chickens and eggs or whether it's you know I would have thought that lion the environmental impact of them putting their beer on their truck and delivering it to their their direct customer which is a fairly substantial producer I'd imagine I can understand that they don't include you know because one of the things that they exclude um, is the environmental impact of making a can so their packaging, they don't include that, which is perfectly reasonable because you'd presume that you know the, the, the can manufacturer is doing that. I think it depends, right? Because I think that, you know, as this report highlights, there's a whole host of challenges in just scoping what your emissions mm. are to start off with to be able to then create a plan. Sometimes... I take the glass half full version of things. But, you know, maybe they've scoped something that is a project that's reasonably achievable because it helps them move forward. It helps bring their staff along because it is something that they can achieve. And then they go, okay, we've done that now. Now what? And I like to think that that's where they're up to, where they go, we've done that. Now what? Um, Because although carbon neutral is not a great example of this, um, in most cases – being more sustainable, um, and I use that as a broad mm. term, actually ultimately rolls down into cost savings. Yeah, and, and it, so, maybe this is one where we park for when Claire's in because that, that's where my hope is. If, if you say that we are working towards being more sustainable, you know, and we're 80% carbon neutral, um, that's still a, a meaningful claim that consumers can buy on. Mm. But I hope that they're not saying that we are carbon neutral by excising something that I think that they should be directly responsible for. But but that's where I think, yeah, so... But I think the other interesting part of this report that um, came out of this Moondog case study that was in there, that was that it really, you know, clearly articulated what are the steps that you need to go to when you're thinking about carbon neutral. So it's figure out your carbon footprint and you really need to think about you know, direct emissions, indirect emissions, and then emissions that are generally not in your control. And I think, um, so for anybody thinking about it, actually quite a lot of work needs to go into even just figuring out before you take any steps to mitigate your carbon output, um, what is what is your starting point. Um, and that could be an exercise that breweries might like to undertake, even if they don't aren't 100% sure um, that they can commit to a carbon neutral certification, they can take the first steps of figuring out what their yep what their current output is. And almost on cue, my phone's just pinged. Media release: Tui's new unveils first electric beer delivery truck in New South Wales. Oh, in a Matt. New South Wales first, an all new electric beer truck has been unveiled by Tui. Mind you, it's one truck, so I know. But you know, I have a you know that I have a thing about. Automation, electric vehicles, new delivery mechanisms. It's a whole space that I'm absolutely here for. And so I'm excited about that. Yeah, I, I know, again, but so, which, which I'm not sure whether it proves or disproves or just sort of adds to, to the discussion. So clearly they're making moves towards, because they, they say that it's um, all part of being um, carbon neutral, you know, uh, the fully carbon neutral, neutral truck 
will be delivering kegs. Um, yep. So clearly that is something that they're working towards. Yep. But does that undermine – if they're making a claim of being carbon neutral in the brewery now by excising this – Tui's isn't. Tui's is Lion. Oh. Yeah. So. Is it the same brewery? Well, it's Lion is Lion. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, so, so that's where they're, if they're saying as a business – and again, I'm, I'm not fully across the, the story, but if if hypothetically they're saying that Lion is a sustain, is 100% carbon neutral business – when they're doing awesome things and they're clearly working towards genuinely being 100%, then do consumers get confused when you make a full claim when there's a partial thing as opposed to talking about the challenges, which makes it more meaningful for everybody to see that you're, you're actually making strides. A great article. If you are in the brewing industry, it is a really good start. Um, it tells you how both what some breweries are doing in the industry and also um, what you can do to get started. Now, nice story to start with uh, when we discussed the news event uh, raised $7,500 for flooded Brisbane breweries. Yeah, and Stone and Wood raised uh, $25,000 across a couple of their fundraisers and there have been smaller fundraisers up and down the coast. Uh, there was one at Torella last weekend. Um, you know, there's, there's been some, you know, all over the place in terms of raising funds for not just the brewing community but the local communities impacted near where breweries are. So that's been great to see. And it was nice to I, – I got into Milton Common this week that was flood affected. Um, had – you know, they just had their new brewery and they lost power, they lost beer. You know, it was nice to see them. They don't have a lot of their own beers on, but they, they're still able to sell beer, um, which, which is great. And then on social media saw two mates. I was um, just thinking about them. They've got the power back on. The brewery right. looked cleanish. So it looks – you know, it was touch and go whether they'd come back, but it sounds like they are um, – Fabulous. Uh, so, so that was a nice story and great to see the community um, coming together. Um, now, these stories probably should have been run together. I was just thinking um, that's in, what I've done in my head. Yeah, <laughs> in the story, uh, Fair claims alcohol companies profit from heavy drinkers. Now, I, I just need to um, – because this was one that we had to dig a little deep into. So Fair sponsored the Cabot. research. Yep. The research was pretty neutral. It, it made a – finding that, you know, perhaps unsurprising, even judging by the comments on Facebook where people, you know, are sort of going, you know, petrol companies benefit from people driving, you know, cars. So can I just um, yep. pause and add there, Matt, that um, the research was undertaken by the Centre for Alcohol and Policy Research at La Trobe University. Yep. So, which is funded by FAIR. Well, it's – well. Fair provided financial support for this research mm. study. So whether it was the whole or in part, they have worked together. Yep. And the report makes it clear that they have worked with Fair and other bodies um, and other partners so that the Reese findings are translated for policymakers and public. But it doesn't make it clear that any of those partners included anyone from the industry side. This is an independent body undertaking the research. It's not fair itself. It is at a university. <laughs> However, the parties that have been consulted and provided input to this independent third party are only from the anti-alcohol slash harm side. And so this is this my is problem. Where, so I just think that's important because when we compare what's in this report to ABS statistics... Yep which have come out, which are completely independent, so they are not funded. They're just collected neutrally. Yep. They're just data. Yep. So, um, And actually, the data is pretty similar. The actual, the actual data numbers. Data is similar and it's the interpretation. So. And it's the way that the outcomes are marketed by either side but that that's are also, different. And that's where, to your point, the, the um, CAPR, you know, the Centre Center for, for Alcohol, Alcohol Policy. Now, I don't know this body at all. Yep. And I can only speak anecdotally, which is always dangerous, but recently I was on ABC Radio talking about seltzers. Yep. Um, and I was pretty scathing of seltzers and what they do and, and, and think well, not, not in, but even as somebody who generates an income from selling alcohol, I really personally aim to be very, you know, I'm, I've got my biases, I've got my blind spots and things like that. But, you know, I was saying that the marketing, they do appeal to people who have immature palates. They're not mm. going for flavor. They're not going to make these things challenging. Yep. They want to move units and that's where the flavours um, – to the point that they had somebody from the Queensland University research equivalent of um, of this who was, you know, I believe got funding from FAIR and 
he followed me and so I said, oh, look, you know, I have to acknowledge this point that Matt made or the, the previous speaker made, but then went off on a tear about how evil alcohol companies are pandering. And I texted the producer and so I said, look, he goes, there's no, there's no body. The host said, is there a body to um, you know, police marketing claims? And he said, no, there's not. And so I texted the producer and so I said, oh, there is actually this thing called ABAC. Uh, ABAC. Um, and the producer, and the, so that was related to the um, presenter and the presenter said, well, there is ABAC. And the guy goes, oh, you know, sort of dismissed ABAC and sort of saying, well, that's an industry body. Now, if that is the level of independence that a university body is providing, the correct answer is yes. When he was asked by the host, is there a body to police marketing claims? The correct answer is yes. Yeah. There is a body that polices these marketing claims. They do this. Our criticism with that, though, is it's the industry thing. It, it's an industry drive mm-hmm. body, and we don't think it goes far enough. Yeah. That is what an independent person would do. Well, that's why I was making the yeah, point yeah. around these two. So my job um, when I'm coming to analyse these things is to analyse them, right, and yep. to look at where the information's yes. come from. And bo- and and we have two essential media releases in which the people who want to tell the, a positive story about the state of Although I, I just alcohol need to, use. I, I just need to point out that the ABS survey responses – have been put out by Alcohol Beverages Australia, which hasn't invested interest. So they've put an interpretation on. That's exactly the ABS what I'm data. saying. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so the ABS data is neutral. Yep. The data collected by the Centre for Alcohol Policy Research was funded by Anti Alcohol. Yes. Which, in in turn, I believe, so going back to my so, point about the university, university is held up as being independent, but increasingly they come to reflect the views of their major funding bodies, uh, uh, which is ABAC, oh, sorry, FAIR, has like $120 million. I don't, I don't know. Like, so I, I don't necessarily think that's true in the same way that I don't think that you can say that ABAC is ineffective because it's funded by alcohol, right? So I tend to think that there are organisations out there that receive funding from some parties to do things mm. and that can still undertake their job independently. Agreed. So that's why I gave the Queensland example because if that's the level of independence, he was clearly showing a bias against ABAC in that he didn't even raise it. Yeah. And if he is a researcher, that, you know, again, so, so, so the, the fair research never engages um, so the alcohol. Centre for Alcohol Policy Research didn't engage industry. No. So what I think is unfortunate uh, for FAIR is that their statement is we've got a report, it was undertaken by these folks. Mm. It doesn't explicitly state and we funded it. So there is this little sort of we're trying to pretend that they're independent from us when they're not. Yes. So I think that's a little unfortunate. I think, um, you know, as many of the wise readers uh, pointed out, Fair claims alcohol companies profit from the heaviest drinkers. Um, that's sort of this bizarre take that says heavy drinkers consume the most alcohol. Like, and oh, here's, I don't here's really the problem understand. with it. So, on one hand, fair, which is actually a, despite its name, is actually an agenda-driven organisation. Yeah, that's not neutral the way the name suggests. They've funded a university-level body. That my criticism is, and, and, and well, I, I don't yep. know this particular one, but yep. my personal experience with university level things that get fair uh, and people who are involved in fair is that they are a plausible deniability from fair, mm-hmm. even though they substantially funded by fair and seem to. But that's have but then you have to make the same criticism then of ABAC. I, why, if if you get to, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole because I want to get to the findings. Okay, okay, we okay. To the well, except well, ABAC is trans transparent, but but, but ABAC's not perfect. No, I agree. But ABAC is a is a good point. But whenever I've seen fair or the university level things, there's no questioning. It's just accepted. Well, this is a university, so it's going to be independent. And then manifestly in this particular example, yeah, fair has taken a report that says the heaviest drinkers consume X amount, which mm-hmm. is a reasonable data point. And, yep. the, and you know, part of you goes, well, duh. Yeah, um, exactly. And then FAIR has attributed 
the the language that they used went beyond what this supposed independent study was claiming and saying that they're targeting the heaviest drinkers. When there was, they offered no evidence. They said, yep, said there was I this agree. data point. The heaviest drinkers are always going to consume the highest. The people who sell that alcohol are always going to benefit, but there is still a whole level of sinister different between target between and, targeting and, and aiming and deliberately profiting. Yep. Um, and I think, so the reason I think this is interesting, so then um, the ABS data comes out and then Alcohol Beverages Australia points out and says, we think this data is um, shows uh, moderation in drinking, essentially. Mm. Um, and we should point out that the uh, Centre for Alcohol Policy Research data is from 2019. The ABS data is from 20, um, to the end of the 20 to 2021 financial year, so June last year. But both of them essentially conclude, both reports essentially conclude, not using precisely the same data um, in terms of percentages because they don't represent it in the same way, but that the heaviest drinkers are men in outer regional and remote slash rural areas in the age groups of, uh, in particular, 50 plus. Mm. 50 to one report is 64, the other report is 59, um, but in and around that age group. Right? Which I'd suggest are institutionalised drinkers and it's denying and, – and this is where part of FAIR's problem is. They want to keep the problem of alcohol consumption current because that's where they get their funding and that's where they get their purpose from. If you look at – if you did a study of people under 30 – their drinking behaviours are vastly different. Um, um, although, although it does say, you know, people aged 18 to 24 were more than three times, this is coming from the ABS mm. data, more, three times likely as those aged 75 and, and over, which is probably true. So <laughs> I just, I guess the point that I was trying to make with that data point yep. was that if you took both of these studies and you held them out to both be true, then actually, um, a, and you ignored everybody's take, which is, Yep. I know what we that's what we're doing. We're making a take yeah, on yeah, those yeah. reports. But if you ignored the ones that have agendas, wouldn't it be great if everybody agreed that that is the area where we have the highest alcohol use or pro, problematic mm. alcohol use and actually activities were directed towards supporting people in those groups mm. and supporting those and dealing with those issues as opposed to, which is I think really where you're sort of – um, driving at, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but we have a lobbying group that wants to say all alcohol is terrible, it's happening everywhere, it's so problematic. And actually we then miss the forest for the trees because we don't actually target uh, the support, the funding for support, the funding for research, the things that can be done for the groups that genuinely mm. need it. And I'm not suggesting there aren't pockets outside of that. But that is my takeaway, that is both of these reports done separately, um, one that is just data, one that has an agenda, actually ultimately concluded fairly similar things mm. around where the problem drinking occurs. Mm. Um, and, gee, wouldn't it be great if someone somewhere said, and as a result, the activity that we're going to undertake to help address this is why. Yeah, and, the, and that's uh, – yeah, put words in my mouth, but they were accurate. Um, <laughs> the the anti-alcohol lobby – automatically assumes bad faith on behalf of the entire alcohol industry. Um, and always, you know, it's, it's just like you automatically should lose a debate if you invoke Hitler, you know, in comparison to Hitler. You should automatically lose a debate if you compare any industry to the tobacco industry in the 1960s where they were doing, because I, I don't see any evidence of that. You know, the, the alcohol industry... Because of it's not perfect, but ABAC does you know, when it's upsetting as many alcohol producers as it as anybody else. You think, well, at least they're getting the the, the uh, balance I, right. But uh, when you've got the people who are supposedly about moderation and education, not even engaging the industry, criticizing the work that you know, um, Drinkwise has done some really really good campaigns over the years that ABAC has actually. Yeah, so that's uh, replicated, 
But then when the drinks industry brings it out, they criticise the campaign, even though they use the uh, – and, and anyway. Yeah, and I think, you know, it, that's what I would be really interested because, you know, the reports don't really get into why is there overconsumption and we don't really have a great discussion about what's happening in our rural communities and and so on and so Shannon forth. Shannon Warren is somebody that we're going to speak to from Sober in the Country who is doing great – strides to educate people right um so 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 that's something we're going to do and if you're sitting there wondering why do do we bang on about this it's because listeners uh, i guess you're working in the alcohol industry um and these are forces that are increasingly gaining momentum to make you know there are changes that the industry needs to make but the industry needs to get its own house in order rather than add fuel to the temperance fires for, for want of a better word. So be, be aware that these things are going on. Yep. Beer Startup tries alternative route to market. This is a, another one that's had a little bit of um, you know, scorn poured on it on, on social media. We covered this story as a crowdfunding story. Um, it was a beer. It was a Pisco Sour. It was a, a, a young lady who had an idea um, based on her cultural background to make a beer with Pisco. Um, it sold very well. Um, is a very... What, what, sort of amateur um, in, in the space, um, mm-hmm. so wanted to, to to get it going, and went what I call the more traditional crowdfunding route, where it's just kind of saying, "Are there enough people who like this idea that you'll help me get it started?" Which I haven't seen for a while. Like I remember, you know, even Black Hops. I think they crowdfunded their first canning line when they ran out of money just to get the the thing over. And you know, some businesses did crowdfundings to get their ideas started. But we've moved more towards the equity crowdfunding where you sell a share of the business. To be fair, dear listener, I rolled my eyes when I saw you know uh, beer being funded through GoFundMe because you know GoFundMe has been in the past, but is increasingly not was used for sort of charitable purposes, right? Um, and so, um, but if you read about this and you actually, you know, take a step back um, and and you adopt Matt's point, which is actually if equity crowdfunding is not actually giving you back any in, – you're not getting any dollars in return for your investment, then it's essentially GoFundMe by another name. And so – With a couple of bells and whistles. With, with a couple of bells and whistles. And so maybe this is actually a more honest mm. – um, and transparent way by saying, I want some capital to help me try something yep. um, and trust me, I'm a good human and I'll pay it forward. And so maybe that is a more honest way. And I think, look, um, the, the, the story behind why Natalia wants to go about this is, you know, relatable and mm. understandable and human and, and and I'm not casting aspersions at all about you know the beer or why she wanted to do it um but it's sort of it's an interesting world in which the platform gofundme is morphing from something that was used for sort of charitable purposes as another place to crowdfund but i think i think that's how it started like that was one of the ways it started and the the only arguments i've heard from businesses that say well we didn't do a crowdfund we did an equity crowdfund was because we needed more money and I'm trying to work out, okay, well, what is it about equity crowdfunding, you know, that lets you raise more money? And the only thing that I can think of is because it's this, we own a share of the business. So I think GoFundMe was fundraising for the people and charities you care about. It came about, mm. it was crowdfunding that was really focused on sort of an additional purpose. Mm. And I think the reason you don't go down equity crowdfunding is because you've got to have something that you can deliver in return. And if you are honest... <laughs> well, how, how many equity crowdfunders have I, delivered something? I hear something? you, but like the whole point of a GoFundMe is you're receiving money and you're not necessarily providing anything in return. There is no... there is no. Well, you are. You're making that product come to life in... Because in the, the the argument that the people who do equity crowdfunding say is that, you know, and, and Dan and Norris from Black Ops, you know, says this beautifully. You know, we did an equity crowdfunding because they become our best salespeople. You know, they build a community. They're, they're, you build a community around it. Now, if you're going to argue that it's not that we're not selling it as an investment, then equity crowdfunding builds that community because it's people that believe in it enough to give you the money to almost pre-buy that product to make it happen. But 
there is always that little bit about an equity crowdfunding quite apart from that it's dressed up as an investment that well you are in the business you know you're part of the family and you know, as we saw with batch and um, bucket, bucket boys. boys the people who bought in at a substantial premium um, to the cost weren't consulted so yeah. your owner <laughs> and then the people who were bucket boys weren't told well this is the problem that you're having they were presented with a fait accompli um, which not suggesting anything was done but what does your ownership your supposed ownership of these businesses give you when you're not even consulted on and, and that's why I go you know a goad fund me that is like I'm fundraising mm. um, you get nothing in return you don't get the product you, you get nothing well you, well, you can because you, you can offer like yeah so give, give me ten thousand dollars and I'll make the product and you get the first card which is but go yeah. go fund me is Oh, okay. Donate yep. me yep. money. Sure. Donate me money to make my dream come true yep. or say in in the most part it's used save my, you know, it's used for raising money for cancer treatment or so on and so forth. So this is quite literally just a donate money. Would you call it corporate begging as someone did on Well, so this is this is why I rolled my eyes originally, right? Because I was sort of like, well, it's it's going to be a business, but I actually think this is it's very transparently being um, put out there as I would like some money to um, to su- help support this dream of mine that I've got, um, y- what you get in return is the knowledge that I might reach my mm. dream. Actually, and you, you make a good point, the difference between GoFundMe and Kickstarter because that's what Kickstarter yeah, was. Yeah, Kickstarter so, is yeah. you buy product, you buy yep. – this is just, just – this is just corporate. I don't want to say corporate because Natalia is not a corporate. She's not part of some conglomeration. Mm. She's an individual who has come to Australia to, to – it's a good story – She's made a beer that's proud for her. She's had some family tragedy along the way and she's saying, I would like to make this dream come true. Can you help me? That's pretty tri- pretty transparent. The, the other thing is, like, I like the idea that it's bringing some cultural yep. colour and flavour to the to the industry and also, you know, it, it's a non-traditional, you know, it, it's bringing more women into the industry. Yep. It's, it's all of those sorts of things and people who want to support that as much as the beer that's exactly right. can, can do that as well. But yep. that's, yeah, I mean, I... Would hesitate to call it corporate begging because for the, for the same reason that the argument about the equity crowdfunding is no one's making these people invest. That's you know, right. You put it out there, it either succeeds or fails based on how well you engage your community. So yeah. anyway, yeah. Um, but I just like the fact that it was much more naked in asking, just give me money for my idea. Um, now, if you maybe one of the things if you did do a GoFundMe, you know, you want to recognise the people that funded you um, and give them a little. What, what would you do, Matt? Well, see, I would create a label that had their names on it. Um, oh, that's cute. Yeah. So you so can sort of say, this is my beer. So I don't own your company, but I, I've got my name on this oh, beer, which cute. is pretty cool. And, you know, but I'm racking my brains to think where, who could provide that sort of service if I had that. I don't know, Matt. Is there anyone that you could think of? Um, and just I'm just going to go to the Bruzians directory and see if there is um, anybody. Oh, look, I can't believe I've been roped into this shenanigans. <laughs> look, right there under packaging, rallings, labels, packages, and stick it in. They sound like the sort of mob who, if you wanted to do a bespoke label for a one-off beer, they could do a small run thing. And you don't even need to buy the equipment because they provide everything. They deliver the cans pre-shrunk wrap labels that they have printed for you and they've got the shrink wrapping machine all you do is fill it and get them out to the people that helped make that beer possible and the guys that can make that possible are rallings labels stickers and packaging you can find a link to them on our bruise news uh, brewery directory that you should be in yourself if you're a business that supplies the industry or you can give them a call on 1300 852 235 don't go digging for a pen that is in the show notes now, we do, after a week without some uh, mailbag, or do we want to do Beer of the Week first? Um, beer of the Week. You had a Beer of the Week, didn't you, Matt? Well, I actually had. Now, this is where we want to be a little bit careful because we get sent a lot of beer and we don't want to create expectations that just because you send us some beer, you're going to get a little Instagram um, thing. But we did get a package from Loophole Brewing during the week. And honestly, I don't know much about them, but I had them... Loophole Brewing, for nigh on 27 years, Des Hooper has been making beer on the edge of the Great Southern Ocean on the Limestone Coast in close proximity to Robe and Kingston. The lifestyle here is refreshing as the salt from the waves he's surfed since settling in 1993, but he's been in production. So, yeah, so Loophole Brewing um, sent us a package of 
of beers and I want to go there now. Yeah, I want to go there as well, but I'm not calling out a single beer. Um, but I tried the Quick Hair Cape Ale, um, the Sly Fox Dry PA, and both of them, you know, were really nice beers. Um, I'm, I'm not probably not going to be able to find them here, but if you are in Loophole Brewing's distribution and they're loopholebrewing.com.au, um, the beers were just really nicely made uh, clean beers. Nothing outstanding. They're not going to change your world. They're not new beer styles that are going to, you know, be the next big thing. But as we like to say here, how sustainable is novelty and hype anyway? Um, But yeah, so if you're in the area, drop by and try the beers fresh, which is what we'll be doing uh, next time we're there. And uh, yeah, so, and that Beer. So that is really nice to be able to get a hold of in your in your special um, role as as Matt at Brews News to be able to try beer from breweries that aren't ordinarily sort of you know uh, widely available or everywhere, but to you know get in touch with some of these um, breweries around the country. That's really nice. Yeah, it's nice that they and don't think for a second that if you send us beer, um, you're going to be included because that's not how we work. But yeah, it always just beers. You do try some beers you've been sent that you, know, you kind of go, mm, I've, I've got a beer budget that I'll allow myself a certain amount of alcohol and if some of the samples we get probably aren't ones that I want to drink, I'm not going to finish them. And these were beers that I finished. So, you know, that, that, and that's... You'd, and you'd pay money for them, that which is the point. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. yeah well, I'd enough, not only pay money, but I would sort of uh, stand by my recommendation that, you know, you might enjoy them yourself if you paid money for them. So uh, Awesome. And Beer of the Week is brought to you by Bluestone Yeast, Australia's first and only liquid yeast manufacturer. Bluestone Yeast have over 100 yeast strains in their biobank and are always adding more. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 038 518 and those numbers will be in the um, Bruce News directory or in the show notes. Seamless. Seamless. Um, Bluestone Yeast is as seamless as Rallings as uh, seems. Uh, now, Mailbag. Mailbag is brought to you by the New Zealand Ale Trail. Now, we are definitely planning our trip uh, to New Zealand, and so should you. Head to the New Zealand Ale Trail website, nzaltrail.com, or at nzaltrail on social media to find the best beer experiences in New Zealand. Now, an email from Matt Quinton, who is a very uh, regular listener and frequent correspondent. A quick comment, if I'm in relation to celebration beers. As I heard Sabrina talking about saving beers for special occasions. Something I learned over the last few years working with winemakers is to make the consumption of the beverage its very own special occasion. I loved this comment. I thought this was so great. There may not be a birthday, anniversary or any other date that marks an occasion, so what the winemakers do is make the drink itself special. It's great to have a think about what it may pair with and food-wise, invite a few like-minded people to get together and enjoy the beverage as a standalone special occasion in and of itself especially if there's a nice cellar going and you feel like enjoying one or two special bevies, keep up the great work. Um, and absolutely, and, and that's where part of me was sort of debating the fundamental nature of beer, um, where I've had one and I want to have that experience again and again and again, but then you've got a beer that is a special occasion beer that you're only going to buy one $35, $40 bottle of beer or buy a couple, put them in the cellar, but you're never going to replicate that experience again. I hadn't thought about it like this before, so I really appreciated this from Matt because it, he, he's right in the sense that you'll, you might get a bottle of wine and you might sell that bottle of wine and you might go to get that bottle of wine out of the cellar and then create the occasion around it. I've got the X vintage of this. Or I'm saving so, this for a special occasion yeah, that may never come. That may, But so like his idea that you go, okay, well, I've got this wine. Why not use that as the excuse to get people together? Which is the, you know, I always think yeah. about the point of beer. The point of beer is to, you know, um, for me anyway, and I think increasingly that kind of that community side of it. And so I go, why not use instead of use the people and the occasion as the starting point, use the beer as the starting point to kick off the occasion. I'm taking this out of my cellar. Come around and join me. Exactly. Yep. Um, and, in fact, I have a beer that is in my fridge that I was purchased by someone recently and I've been waiting for the right reason and now I'm going to create a reason. Now I'm just going to I'm going to create the occasion. Have you seen the movie Sideways? Yes. Okay, which, again, I love it on many levels. But one of the takeaways for me is he was – 
fetishizing this wine, this yeah. one wine that he had, that he sort of had in his cellar and, you know, he has these tribulations. And then there's just the end of the thing where he has it in a fast food restaurant from a styrofoam cup. And there's just this little thing where he sort of sips it in the, 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 the classic wine wanker is doing everything wrong. But then he has a sip and he just sort of gives this little subtle nod of appreciation. Well, it's the classic debate around there's a beer for all occasions, but sometimes the most satisfying beer is your, um, you know, lightweight import sitting on the side of a beach or you've just come back from a fishing trip or like whatever it is, right, that, that, that ingrains that experience into your mind is one of the most beautiful experiences. And I think this idea of take your nice beers and create the occasion yourself I just think is um, that I'm going to put that into my life. That is, I'm going to approach my life like that now. So that was really nice. There is no perfection in brewing. You know, brewers can chase the beer that they want to say is perfect, but for the consumer, the more you build it up, the more impenetrable you make beer. But it's the beer that you just sort of sit there and find yourself enjoying. That's when you've got a great beer in front it's of the you. the magic. Yeah. But it's also, I think, this point that is the lesson from wine, which is because wine comes out, it's this novelty versus how do we make it last. And we've talked a lot about, you know, it's increasingly brewers are moving into the barrel ageing and things. But it's this it's this concept that we can take from wine, which is, um, which is insightful from Matt, is that they make the beverage the special occasion. You're getting out the 1983 Penfolds Grange. That's the special occasion. The beer, the wine isn't being taken to the occasion. The wine is the occasion. Is the occasion, yeah. And we don't do that enough uh, using broad generalisation, but I think beer isn't treated with that same set of reverence where the beer, the beer is the occasion. We build the occasion around the beer. Mm. It's we've We're getting people together and we'll take beers along. And I really like this idea that um, – the beer is the occasion. So anyway, it's probably a lot of discussion about a one comment um, from Matt. Yeah, but no, thank you for taking the time. And a bar blade is winging its way as we speak um, to Matt. Can I just add another last piece of info for information, Matt? Of course. Brewers Guild of New Zealand currently have their expressions of interest open for stewarding and judging for the Brewers Guild of New Zealand Beer Awards. So if anybody's listening from New Zealand and you haven't taken up that opportunity yet, now's the chance. Thank you for that. And the only other thing uh, is not really – I think it's mailbag because it was posted into the Facebook group um, – Interesting story, big change coming to Dan Murphy's in Melbourne. Dan Murphy's is opening its doors to the first bar and bottle shop in the Melbourne suburb of Hampton. Uh, all drinks on offer will contain uh, 0.5 um, alcohol or less with the bar set to open from next week. Now, when you read these stories, it sounds like it's a big play. They're opening bars. It's a temporary thing um, that's till June, I think, so it's... So it's probably consumer research for them, you know. Consumer research, priming the pump, yep, um, creating awareness, creating hype around alcohol-free yeah, beer. all of that. And then, The most hype category in the world at the moment. Um, so for me, I go, well, isn't it just a coffee shop? Or milk like, bar. I know, no, it's a milk right, bar. So I just... Particularly if I, I've got a uh, you know, milkshake. I look forward to... I would love... If I was there, I would be going because I'd want to understand the vibe. Mm. Like, I don't understand in my mind yet what a... No alcohol, zero alcohol, which is less than 0.05 bar, what the vibe is, I don't know. Um, so I, I would be really interested in the vibe. That's what I'm into. And then the second thing that happened in my mind as I read this was I thought, my God, we talk about Tide Taps enough. If you start seeing Dan Murphy's push out into to venues – but they've already, like I realise that's not yep. what's happening, but straight away in my head I went to, oh, my God, we're locking down more supply chain. Well, um, although they have, yeah, through ALH, ALH had hotels for, for, for years. Yeah. So even though it's not branded Dan Murphy's. Um, it's just, it's just it, the power of these singular retailers mm. to decide what the market is mm. um, and, and do really good testing like – that we don't have, uh, that, that many of our smaller breweries don't have the capacity to do to, to draw. Like I just, I just saw this and I was like, this is, um, you've got to have a lot of investment and money and 
strategic nous and thought to be able to pull these kinds of things off and it's just I went straight to the business of it yep um, rather than sort of well, the no elk this the, the point you just made that you know the power of these people to shape what we drink um, that's where this will be a fascinating thing for me to sit back and watch because Woolworths you know Dan Murphy's you know are putting so much emphasis behind alcohol free drinks that it should be a huge category and again, I still, I just don't see it in the wild. I, 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 I see so much newsprint. I see so many people talk, so many industry sites talking about it. I do have people like I was out recently, had uh, an alcohol-free beer, or actually I had a um, Sidewinder, which was one point one five percent, because it was the appropriate place to have a beer. But I didn't want to have a beer. Mm. Um, and so that was the use case for it. But again, I don't see people rocking up to dinner parties with a six-pack of alcohol-free beer. I see it occasionally out in the wild, mm. as you and I talked about, but maybe we're not the demographic. Maybe we're not hanging with the people who we are the demographic. We speak to a pretty broad demographic. So listeners, when you email us, tell us how old you are and what demographic. Are you a Gen Y? Are you a Gen X? Are you a Gen Z? Are you a, what's the new one, millennial? Are you a... Zoomer. Zoomer. So what's a Zoomer? Isn't it? It's below millennial. Well, they probably shouldn't be drinking then, should they? I don't know. Yeah, they're old now, aren't they? Okay. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, no let idea. us know what you're seeing if, if you're seeing alcohol-free beers in the wild because... No, not if you're seeing them out. Like, if you're seeing sort of alcohol-free experiences mm. and people yep. genuinely choosing it at a, at a bar, at mm. a restaurant, at a... But I would, I would love, I hope some of the listeners in Melbourne attend this and get some really good can tell us what the vibe is like. Yep. Um, Maybe we can go. It'll be open in May when we're down there for oh, will the it? LBAs. Yeah, oh, that'd be, I'd love June, to go. So we'll go. That's the news for the week. The news and the discussion and the, the back and forth. Let us know what you think of the news. Let us know what your thoughts on the news were. And you can do that by emailing us at producer at bruisenews.com.au and your comments won't just be read out and discussed. You'll get a bar blade. Um, and we thank you for that. If you like what we do, you can even give us some money. Um, you can do that by, if you're an industry supplier, taking a directory listing in the Bruise News directory. And as you can hear, we reach the best industry audience in the country. If you're a listener, you can just jump on and give us a Patreon-style one-off or recurring donation. If you're a brewery, you can take a subscription and get things like free job ads and a whole lot of other benefits as well. Uh, but otherwise... That wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been me, Matt Kirkegaard. You haven't had Claire Burnett, unfortunately, but you have had Sabrina Kunz. The show is produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joe Helder. We thank you to our supporters who do give us money, Rowling's Labels, Stickers and Packaging, Bluestone Yeast, New Zealand Ale Trail and Thirsty Merchants. And on that note, we're out. 